Hello and welcome to Zip Files, a weekly technology news catch-up show. This week we're thinking about plastic, because plastic is bad for us and we should think about that. So that's our long listen, a piece on plastic. Around that, I'll quick-fire pepper you with all the most interesting tech news of the last week. We've got Zuckerberg defending himself in Congress, Uber buying up electric bikes, metals discovered off the coast of Japan that don't sound real, and much, much, much more. Don't worry if this all sounds a bit techy and your brain box is hurting. We'll have rest breaks throughout the show where we talk to my good friend Hannah. She's from Canada and she knows things. Hello. Hello, mate. How's France? It's lovely. It's lovely. There's real live sun and everything. 22 years of age and wiser than most. Gulp in her wisdom like you would a cold summer's drink. Anyway, without any more dawdling, sit down, stretch your ears, insert your earphones, turn on your surround sound speakers and roll down your eyelids. It's time to get tech newsy. Mark Zuckerberg appeared before Congress twice this week to be grilled over Facebook's mishandling of user data. I was like a small boy before Christmas, rushing downstairs to flip open the livestream. But, I have to be honest, it turned out to be an unfortunately boring couple of days, in which Congress appeared bumbling in their line of questioning. Indeed, I actually laughed in horror at some of their questions, many of which revealed that the asker had absolutely no clue how the internet works. Congress, which is mostly a bunch of old men, not a demographic known for their tech prowess, should really be ashamed of their unpreparedness. The Verger's Casey Newton wrote, My basic feeling about the hearing is that I've been asked harder questions on first dates. I'll leave you with this barely satirical piece written by our satirical news friends at The Onion in the voice of Congress. We just need to pretend like we're doing something right now due to the fact that people are pretty mad at you. But once the heat dies down, you can go right back to whatever it was you were doing all along. Seriously, you can relax. Oil executives, big bank CEOs, they've all been in that chair before and have come out totally fine. You have absolutely no reason to worry. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Tesla have been kicked off the National Transport Safety Board's investigation into a fatal crash of a Model X on March 23rd. This comes after Tesla violated an official agreement not to release information related to the investigation whilst it was still ongoing. In an attempt to get ahead of the news, the company had announced that the crash was the result of driver fault rather than their autopilot systems, which had warned the driver, Walter Huang, to take control multiple times before the eventual collision with a highway barrier in California. Huang's hands weren't detected on the steering wheel for six seconds before the crash. The Wall Street Journal report that his family planned to file a wrongful death lawsuit alleging Tesla's autopilot to be dangerously defective. Um, what's your favourite smell in the whole world? Oh, God, okay. Really close call. <laughs> really close tie between, like, you know that smell when you come, when it's spring starts to come, and, yeah. like, the air smells like spring, yeah. you know? And it's, like, not even just, like, overt flowers, but just, like, just, like, <laughs> that smell, you know? When it's, like, really mild out... And it's just kind of mild in the air. And maybe, oh yeah, I've said that just twice. Anyways, it's kind of like, or, or you know, when it's kind of dusk and the sky's kind of pink and you come out and it just smells like, ah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so that smell.
Uber is buying jump bikes, an electric bike sharing startup currently operating in Washington, D.C. and San Francisco, with ambitions to go worldwide soon. The electric two-wheelers are part of a new generation of dockless share bikes. Users pay $2 for every 30 minutes that they ride and can leave the bike anywhere when they're done. That's the dockless bit. The bikes have GPS that allow jump employees to find and recover them. This move is part of Uber's wider plan to monopolize travel. Instead of just offering car services, Uber want to transition into a multimodal platform. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi blogged his vision for the app, and I quote, So that you can choose the fastest or most affordable way to get where you're going, whether that's in an Uber, on a bike, on the subway, or more. In more Uber-related news, the ride-hailing company have been ordered by regulators in the Philippines to continue operating in the region. Yes, you heard that right. In a diversion from the norm, important people actually want Uber to stay on their streets. Uber was scheduled to shut down operations in the region as of Sunday as part of their deal with rival Grab, who agreed to acquire Uber's Southeast Asia division in the latter stages of March. Now antitrust regulators might block that deal if they see it as anti-competitive and need more time to complete their review. Whilst that is going on, Uber are making moves to consolidate their business in other regions, and part of this effort is building rider trust. To that end, the company have announced plans to start doing annual criminal record checks on its drivers, whilst employing another company to constantly monitor driver arrests. One of the most troll-filled websites on the whole interwebs, Reddit, an online messaging board forum type site, disclosed Tuesday that it had also been victim to Russian trolls trying to influence the course of the 2016 US presidential elections. CEO Steve Huffman seemed absolutely chuffed that this foul play had been detected over a year too late. I am pleased to say that these investigations have shown that the efforts of our trust and safety and anti-evil teams are working. Yes, Reddit does have an anti-evil team. And yes, that's probably a sign that we should start stockpiling beans and digging deep holes. Welcome to this week's Long Listen. So this week's Long Listen is written by Edward Fernyhow. You can find him on LinkedIn if you're interested in doing business with him. He's a good guy. Uh, if you're interested in writing for the zip files as well, then I would love that. Send me an email, evan at thezipfiles.io, and I will be right back in touch. Without further ado, let's talk about plastic. There are a few sights more seen in the working world than that of the fresh-faced 20-something settling down for a hard day's work. MacBooks opposite, lattes to hand, and tools sharply unsheathed. Workers in the UK fuel themselves with 70 million cups of coffee daily. Each day, 7 million disposable coffee cups are thrown away, the plastic linings of which are not biodegradable and, when recycled, environmentally damaging. The UK produces 30,000 tonnes of coffee cup waste each year. That's a lot of rubbish. A lot of rubbish that isn't really going anywhere. Thankfully, Waitrose, the UK supermarket people's, has decided to withdraw distribution of these plastic caffeine injectors in the hope of reducing their contribution to the ever-swelling plastic mountain. Everybody seems faintly aware of the dangers posed by excessive plastic production, but the threat is a relatively new one. Synthetic polymers were not developed for industrial use until the 19th century following the invention of vulcanised rubber by Charles Goodyear in 1839. 
Goodyear's innovation came to be used to make pipes, tyres and most importantly, the trusty tennis ball. Vulcanisation involves the addition of certain chemicals to the rubbery sap excreted by the imaginatively named rubber tree, also known by the pithier, more relatable name, Heavier Brasiliensis. And then in 1907, Leo Bakeland invented Bakelite, a material initially created to provide electrical insulation. Bakelite was the first completely synthetic plastic containing no naturally occurring molecules at all. The cheap production cost of plastics, combined with their widespread utility, meant that the intrusion of synthetic polymers into economies snowballed. But what the hell are synthetic polymers? Why on earth are they so useful? And why, oh why, are they a problem? Plastics derive their name from the Latin and Greek adjectives plasticus and plasticos, respectively, meaning able to be moulded. Our modern word plastic has been given as a name to certain chemical compounds with structures that endow objects with useful elastic properties. These are known as synthetic plastics. Others occur naturally, like rubber and cellulose, and are commonly referred to as organic polymers. For some idea of the industrial utility of polymers, consider this, brackets, facile example. Back to our trusty tennis ball, or, as I now like to call it, our vulcanised racket sphere. (laughs) When a tennis ball strikes the floor or a racket, its elasticity enables it to stretch without breaking its bonds. This means it can bounce and undergo compression without sustaining structural damage whilst also returning to its spherical shape, a shape that enables, to the gratitude of tennis players, true bouncing tennis matches. I don't imagine tennis matches played with glass balls would last many serves worth of play. The elasticity of synthetic polymers grant them their industrial utility. The malleability that results from their chemical compositions enable objects made from plastic to be bent and moulded into shapes varying from the coffee cup to the tabletop. Look around you. I wager there are at least a few objects within your sight that are partly made from it. Consider the tools of today. Our pens, headphones, bottles, calculators, phone cases, coffee cups, all made using plastic, 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 plankton, (laughs) plastic. Plastic will continue to penetrate the world, and violently so, for the foreseeable future. This is as much the result of the material's extensive utility as its non-biodegradability. Plastics are made from macromolecules that can't be properly absorbed and digested by the microbes responsible for feasting on organic detritus. Since the invention of synthetic plastics, very few organisms have developed the ability to break down these artificial materials. Although often heralded as our saviour, recycling plastic is problematic too. Consider the following excerpt from Eureka Recycling's article, Recycling Plastic, Limitations and Complications. And I quote, When we collect and remanufacture plastic, we are only delaying its disposal. The final destination for all plastic is either a landfill, where it doesn't decompose, or an incinerator, where it releases harmful chemicals when burned. When burned, plastics give off compounds typical of pollution, including carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide, along with other toxic fumes. These pollutants rule out combustion as a sustainable method of disposal. When dumped, plastics find their way into the food chain, killing animals and sometimes intoxicating us too. The scale of the problem is indicated by the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, a floating, naturally occurring landfill, three times the circumference of France. That's massive. Want more sense of scale? Google search images of whales with plastic in their stomachs. Instead of dumping, recycling and incinerating, Eureka recommended the best solution is to simply reduce our use of plastic. This is advice which Waitrose, Apple and other companies and governments with a keen eye on the environment are carefully responding to. Governments do their bit to help reduce plastic consumption by levies such as the now compulsory charges for plastic bags at UK supermarkets. 
Government regulation also prompted Waitrose's withdrawal of their disposable coffee cups with the introduction of the latte levy, an additional 25p charge for the plastic cup. To borrow words from the BBC, MPs have concluded that consumers respond more to sticks than to carrots. Solving the problem will depend on cooperation between consumers, companies responsible for producing goods, and regulatory bodies. Consider for a second all the small ways you might be able to reduce your own personal contribution to that ever-growing plastic island. Pick the bunch of bananas without the completely unnecessary plastic jacket. Go for the satsumas in the cardboard box. Take a trendy flask to coffee shops instead of using disposable coffee cups. As buyers, we have the ability to influence the products available on the market by the way we spend our money. If we spend less on products containing large amounts of plastics, the number of these products that appear on our shop shelves will decrease. The reactionary revulsion to the sting of the stick or our salivation at the prospect of the crunchy carrot may nudge our consumer habits to begin with, but ultimately we have the ability to control them. We have the ability to make individual choices that will influence a distant posterity, and we need to make choices conducive to a sustainable future. Haters will say your reusable flask and concern for the environment is virtue signaling. Woke boys and woke gals already know it's just straight up wokeness. spend a day in someone else's shoes whose would they be and why oh god you know what recently i've been getting super interested in cardi b like i don't really like her music that much but i just think she's an absolute like just picture of art like i just think she's amazing like on so many levels Wait, I just, like who is hey. cardi b oh my god sing me oh her top my song god okay i don't really know I just, honestly i don't know her music very well but it's like um but okay it's like this is expensive shit. This is furniture. Um, <laughs> you know who she is. Don't I you? know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I don't like. I genuinely. This is just on the top of my head. And like, had I again, have you asked me this question like a few minutes ago? I'd be like, Tolstoy, because no. But actually, <laughs> recently, recently, I've been just watch like watching so many interviews with her, and she is genuinely hilarious. And I honestly would love to spend a day in the shoes of someone who has so little. Uh, like nothing holds her back. He just says she speaks her mind so well, and she just that like, owns every room she's in, and she's just got such good nails, and she's just I don't know. <laughs> I just nails. love her. Just so I authentic. Think she's sick. Yeah, she's so authentic, and I just think that'd be sick. A decade after promising to go all green, Apple actually have. The company announced on Monday that their sites worldwide are now entirely powered with clean energy. That includes their retail stores, offices, data centers, and co-located facilities in all 43 countries that they have a physical presence. Only the processes of some of their manufacturing partners remain dirty, and that is quickly changing at Apple's suggestion. 14 of these manufacturing partners already use entirely clean energy to power their Apple production, and as part of Monday's announcement, nine more have agreed to go green also. Cheers to corporate responsibility. 
Technology products are often built using rare earths, a group of 17 elements that are, drumroll please, very rare. Use rechargeable batteries, display panels, LED lights, and a bunch of other stuff, and you have these rare earths to thank. China is the world's biggest source of the stuff, and have used this as leverage in times of dispute. Now, Japan have discovered their own motherlode located some 1,150 miles to the southeast of Tokyo and submerged four miles deep in the North Pacific. It won't be easy to get at it, but by God they'll do it. The estimated 16 million ton haul is great news for Japan's industrial sector, 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 and researchers suggest that the treasure trove could be enough to supply the world on a semi-infinite basis with metals such as yttrium and europium. No, I've never heard of them either but I'm told they're good, good, good. On Friday, the High Court in London ruled in favour of an anonymous businessman who asked to be forgotten by Google's search engine in a case that is likely to see many thousands more request to be removed from Google's results. The businessman had been convicted of a crime over 10 years ago that was deemed by Mr Justice Warby, the judge, to no longer be relevant to his character and therefore should no longer be of interest to his Google searchers. The European Court of Justice ruled in 2014 that people could request the removal of Google results relating to them if the result was outdated or otherwise irrelevant. This is the first time, however, that an English court has swooped in on the right-to-be-forgotten principle. What's the most important thing in life to you, do you reckon? Uh... Just like, oh, it's, it's like, this one sounds so lame, but like, I guess genuinely just trying to like look beyond yourself as much as you can and like act with compassion and just try to, if everyone kind of did that and like just thought about the next person beside them or like just the ways their actions affected the people around them and like just, yeah, I guess like trying to like look beyond yourself and look beyond your life experience and trying to understand other people, I guess that's pretty important. Um, way to go through life that's pretty lame but I'd say no that's pretty great that's pretty great Apple's smart speaker, the HomePod, which was positioned to compete with the likes of Amazon's Alexa and Google Home, has flopped. Despite a promising start, which saw pre-orders high and early sales positive, sales are now lagging for the Apple HomePod as the company cuts production orders and lowers sales forecasts. It looked like it might all work out back in January when HomePod captured circa one-third of the US smart speaker market. But the hefty $349 price tag which is a massive premium in the space, and the lack of functionality, saw the HomePod slip to about 4% of the smart speaker category just three weeks after launch. Twitter has long had a problem with abusive and bullying comments. The platform has unwittingly engendered a culture of viciousness that will be hard to dispose of. CEO Jack Dorsey announced last week that the social media company would be trying a decidedly simple strategy to reduce abusive tweets. Namely, showing users its rules more often and more prominently. This approach comes off the back of academic research, suggesting that reminding people to be nice actually does make people act nicer. In a post announcing the initiative, Susan Banesh and Jay Nathan Matthias, two researchers who will help lead the scheme, wrote, Social norms, which are people's beliefs about what institutions and other people consider acceptable behaviour, powerfully influence what people do and don't do. A similar move has shown success on Reddit, an internet messaging board. Let's hope tweeters respond in a similar way.
and it's done. <laughs> it's over. You can open your eyes now, take it all in. Hopefully the tech world around you makes a bit more sense. You're all caught up. If you enjoyed the show, then please share the zip files with a friend. If you hated it, then please share it with an enemy. Also, sorry to be hashtag that guy, but if you're feeling bright and breezy, happy and friendly, then rating the zip files five stars on Apple Podcasts would help me out massively. I love you all. Until next Sunday, enjoy your oat milk lattes and have a great week. Hold up. 